Hey everybody, I am Gina Bianca, life and business coach, salon owner, educator, mastermind mentor, and your host of the Gina Bianca podcast. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Gina Bianca podcast. Today, by popular demand, I've brought on my financial advisor, Dave Champy. He has been working with me in my business for a few years now uh, and has really helped me get a handle on my finances. I share with you guys sometimes, you know, when I was first starting out, I didn't really know what to do. I kind of just went for it. And now that most of the industry is booth rental and a lot of stylists and salon owners are struggling with their business or wanting to learn more about their business. I asked Dave if he would come on and speak with us and he just went above and beyond. So if you're in mastermind watching this, you'll see the presentation. If you're here on the podcast, you get to listen along and I'm sure you'll get just as much value either way. So welcome, Dave. Thank you so much for making the time for this and for helping my audience and my listeners grow. Well, thanks, Gina. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I mean, I'll leave this open to you to ask any questions that you have. I know that you have some questions um, and then I can kind of go through some of the that I put together is um, we service probably between 30 and 40 salon stylists and barbershops. So some things that are near and dear to them, um, I can go through that and I can actually go through some of the things of what makes our firm a little bit different than most other firms and what makes us um, successful and make, make our clients successful. Totally. Well, I'd love to just get to know you. Like how long have you been in business and you know, what made you want to be an accountant and advisor to others? And, you know, you run a very successful, busy firm. And I was like, when I first met you guys, I was like, okay, they're different because my accountant, when I first started, he didn't really take me seriously or have like the heart of a teacher. And I talk about that a lot. I'm like, make sure when you're interviewing an accountant, um, or financial advisor, like make sure that they're on your team. Like I always say, you have two new best friends when you start business you have your lawyer and your accountant, your advisors. So these are people that you need to be living in consultation with and you need to ask for help if you need it, because we're artists. A lot of us, you know, I'm an artist for sure. And for me to spend tons and tons and tons of time doing a lot of these things is not realistic for me to create my art. So really having the right people on your team is important. So tell me about you and your firm and also like what made you want to do this and uh, maybe even share like what some things you should look for in an advisor. Sure. So let me give you a little bit of background about the firm and then I'll get into me. Um, the firm started out in 1968. My dad started doing um, tax returns um, and it was really just a tax preparation service. He would go door to door um, with his little Toyota and uh, he would go and sit at families' homes and he would do the tax returns by pen and paper on a uh, on their kitchen table. He would probably see between 10 and 12 clients a year. Um, one of the things when I went to school was his dad said, hey, listen, I want you to get an accounting degree. And I was glad I did that um, because it helped me uh, not only in accounting, but also in where I started. And I've learned, and, and to your point, Gina, we, we are a little bit different in the fact that we take a consultative approach. Um, so I started out in management consulting. So I did management consulting for Fortune 100 clients for probably 15 to 20 years. And I think that's the differentiation that makes our firm so different is, is that I take that consultative approach 
and I put myself in each client's business and say, what do they need to do? What do they, how do they think ahead? How do they um, strategically need to push forward? Um, so I think those are some of the things that make us different. So from 1968 to where we are today, we are obviously have grown significantly. We have a uh, our office or campus in Cheshire, Connecticut. Um, we service clients in 50 states. We service clients internationally. Um, we provide management consulting services, accounting services, bookkeeping services. We do IRS representation work. Um, so we do a vast um, amount of things. I think the thing that enjoy I enjoy the most is is going out to a client site and actually seeing the interactions with their clients and for me to see what takes place and what efficiencies I can help them gain, um, not only from an operational perspective, but more from a financial perspective. That's amazing. Yeah, you've come to my place at my first salon that I had and um, I remember you coming in there and you were just, you have given me such great advice throughout the years. And I'm really grateful for that because like I said, the people I was working with before, like I just felt like I wasn't taken seriously. And that made me so afraid and made me feel like, so like not smart enough to do this. And I think that when your accountant has a heart of a teacher and your financial advisors like are really there to like support you and they're on your team and they want you to win. It just gives you that a little bit more of courage and education. You've taught me so much. So thank you. And thank you again for coming on here and making the time. I know you guys are slammed right now. Like it's tax time. I can't even believe you booked the appointment. I was like, you could book it in like three months and you like totally pulled through for me. And I think the industry needs it a lot right now, especially through COVID. A lot of people closed down or opening suites. Like our industry landscape has changed so much. And I do speak and uh, coach with a lot of salon owners. So I know we, salon owners need help. It's just really, really great that you're doing this. So thank you. Oh, you bet. And thank you for everything. But you know, in, in regard, in regards to COVID, there are some programs out there for those that are um, self-employed or that own their own hair salon. Um, one is if you haven't spoken to your accountant or your banker, you should look into the SBA Paycheck Protection Program loan. Um, the second one, um, there's if you receive the first round, there's also a second draw. Um, that those uh, applications um, expire on March 31st. Um, there's also the economic disaster relief loan um, that salon stylists can apply for as well. And that's a, um, a low interest rate loan paid back to the SBA over 30 years. And that's at 3.75%. Um, a lot of people are not aware of these types of vehicles. So, you know, those are areas that you could look at. I know that some salons were closed um, during the second quarter of 2020. Um, but this, you know, a lot of salon owners went on unemployment because they did offer that employment for those that were self-employed. So there are options out there and each state has grants that are available through their economic development organizations, um, specifically for COVID relief. So I think you just have to look and you need to explore what options are available and look at your advisor to kind of offer you those. Um, I was up late last night. There's a brand new one that the um, IRS came out with late um, in January and I was doing some research on it and that's called the employee tax um, credit. And that's something that a lot of salon owners can also look at if they have employees. So there's a lot of pieces to it. Unfortunately, everything is coming all at once. So be patient with your advisor or your accountant because they're, they're digesting it as quickly as possible and they're trying to get as much back out to each client as they can. Yeah. I've been, um, there's this new app, Dave, called Clubhouse. Have you heard of this? 
No, I haven't. So, okay. I think this app is the future of social media, but the premise of it, it's like a live podcast. So me and you could start a room on there and start talking about being a financial advisor. We can start giving tax information, but there's some questionable information coming out. Um, everybody's allowed to be an educator and everyone's allowed to have that platform. And I'm never one to like put anyone down with it. Um, I, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but it's really important to have a financial advisor you trust and not really trust everything off the internet. I mean, having, you can definitely do your research, but having people on your team, like if you're going to have a business like this, it's super important to have a, a really great advisor and a really great lawyer, like just people you can go to and live in consultation, not always live off of this free advice. Do you agree? I 100% agree. And I, I get called probably every day. I get text messages, I get phone calls. Um, if I'm getting a haircut, I've got people showing up and saying, hey, I heard this, I heard that. And, you know, they look to me to kind of dismiss any rumors, right? Or any senses of things that exist. So I think you do need to make sure that if something sounds good, and it, maybe it's too good, and you do need to have somebody that you trust that you can ask those questions to. And it could be a lot of questions, right? It could be, hey, I heard that I can collect unemployment. Number two is, is I heard that there's a grant available. So there's a lot of different pieces. I heard I could write off a brand new truck that I purchased. Did you I, see my video? Supplies. Did you see my I video I sent in a net? I saw a TikTok video and it was just this lady saying, it, it was like, tell me information that you feel like is illegal to know. And then this lady hops on. She goes, did you know that if you own a small business, you can write off a car over 6,000 pounds. That means Range Rover, Escalade, all these things. And you can fully write off this car. And I sent the video to Nanette. I was like, true or false? <laughs> I was like, and, I, and it was so funny. And she was just like, um, <laughs> like, there's always things like that go into it. And like, people will always want to get views and they'll always want to get this. Like, we call it clout. We like people want to get this attention. Um, so they'll put anything out there and really, I just can't, I can't stress enough, like with the abundance of free information to have people who know your business and who are on your team. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I, I had a client yesterday that I spoke to and they said, oh, my plumber told me that I can write off, uh, X, Y, and Z, or that I I'm working from home now and I can take an office in the home and they're an employee. So I think that you really need to have somebody that you trust. I think you also need to make sure that the information is valid. And, and thirdly is, is you gotta be ahead of the curve, right? So if your advisor is somebody that's not thinking ahead and is not up late researching and, and getting the latest news and is on top of it, then it's time to start looking for another accountant or another advisor um, because they've got to be ahead of it. And you, you know, you want them to be proactive for your business. Yeah. And I think it's really great. Like how your firm and how you have been so like involved and you actually get to know the business. And that's so important because sometimes getting advice, it's like, you don't feel heard or understood. And having someone on your team who, who knows and will take the extra time and who will get to know the business is so important. So yeah, I think it's great. And I think even just the beginning of this is so much value for our listeners to be like, wow, like they're going to look at their accountant or their advisors and be like, hmm, am I getting what I'm paying for or am I really getting what I need? Because so much stress is linked to financial like so much of our stress is financial and like not knowing and not understanding. I know for me, like that's like one of the biggest sources of my stress is finances. And just to have like 
your team, like I was emailing back and forth and like, you guys helped me when I went away, when I was like taking time off, like I knew everything was in good hands and it was just like, so great for me to like, your fiance helped out too. Yeah. Have that, (laughs) have that trust, you know, and my fiance helped a lot. Um, but just with the financials and the business and like all of that. So it's just really, really important. And it's just a really great thing to start focusing on. So I'll stop rambling. And I would love, (laughs) I would, I would love to see, um, this, this looks great. If you're watching on mastermind, you guys will see the presentation, obviously. Hey, mastermind fam. But I wanted to put it here on the podcast as well, because this information, like you guys know, my mission is to elevate the beauty industry in every single way, culturally, socioeconomically, like technically with knowledge, like my mission is to help elevate. And I just feel like this information should be public and should be available to everybody. So please send this podcast to your friends, post it on your story, take a screenshot, tag me. And, um, you know, I want to know if you watch it and I want to know what you think. So amazing. Dave, take it away. So um, you really wanted to, you know, I wanted to kind of go over a little bit about us working with hairdressers and, and stylists and barbers. Um, I think that's kind of um, a, a real impetus as to why is this a unique industry, what you need to know. Um, and essentially it's employees, you, you probably employ or you have subcontractors of less than three or four people, not much bigger than that, some do. But I wanted to give you a little bit of our history. Um, you know, we started out, can you see the um, PowerPoint? Yeah, I can see it. Great. So there's a picture of my dad. That's my grandparents' tax return from 1930. So um, again, we started out with pencil and paper. We bought our campus in 1980. Um, we started and we advanced more into the accounting and the wealth management area. And we started to get into management consulting. Um, but where we are today is we are considered um, a, an advisor, right? From accounting, tax, wealth management, re- representation, um, uh, business consulting, um, looking at clients, just setting up their organization. You know, and from that perspective, you know, our approach is you asked me that question is what do you guys do differently? And why, what makes you special or why? And I think what makes Gina and I click was we had to establish trust because I think her previous accountant, she didn't have trust in. And I think that I, over the time that I've been working with her, I think this is year four or five that I had established trust and she had to believe that I knew what I was doing and my team, that I, what we were doing. The second is, is open communication. Um, and if, if she had a problem with us or if I had a problem with something that she was doing, we would just have open dialogue both ways. It wasn't just, hey, you know what? This is um, uh, one way street. It was a communication both ways and it was written, it was verbal and it was coming to her site and I and her coming to my office. So it was a level of, of mutual respect that I was able to go to her site. And um, I think she appreciated that because I saw where her environment was. I saw how she worked. I saw what motivated her um, and she saw what I had. Um, I do remember something about three or four years ago, it was around Christmas and she gave me a book and I, and it was a good book. It kind of motivated me and it, it kind of said something about working outside the, the paradigm. And, um, and I read that book and it was uh, helpful and I, I got a little bit inside of who she was and it helped me understand her. And I try to do that with each client. There's something unique about everybody. Everybody's not just cookie cutter. 
Um, I think the third thing is, is, you know, looking ahead and anticipating what they need. So for instance, if a client, we communicated effectively as soon as the Paycheck Protection Program came out last year to all of our business clients, we called them all and said, listen, you have the opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. Let's do it. And we took, you know, the program came out through the CARES Act. Um, I think it came out in uh, early March. I stayed up two late nights. I did two webinars so I can learn as much as I could about the Paycheck Protection Program. And I probably did 200 applications. Um, and I worked with my clients and I called each and every one of them. And I worked Saturdays and Sundays to make sure that all those loans were funded. Um, we're doing the same right now because the second round or the second draw expires on March 31st. Um, additionally, they changed the laws yesterday that now if you have greater than 20 employees, you have two weeks to apply and then you're no longer able to apply. So if you are applying for the second round paycheck protection program, um, make sure that you do um, uh, get the application in, especially if you have greater than 20 employees. Um, additionally, um, looking at the paycheck protection program for round two, if you have a tw you have to show a 25% reduction in revenue from one quarter from 2019 to 2020 it could be any quarter but i believe for you guys most everybody was shut in the second quarter so that would be the quarter that you would want to use for your paycheck protection program but to that point we're anticipating the needs of our clients and we're thinking ahead because you want somebody that's really really strategically in your corner the fourth one is is being a problem solver clients come to us with problems and i think what we try to do is, is think outside of the box and come up with creative solutions, whether it be a, a business solution, whether it be a way to set up their entity or their structure, whether it's to dissolve their partnership or corporation, whether it's to transition or pivot to a different type of entity. Um, I think that clients will call us and say, hey, here's the situation. How do I get out of it or how do I stay in it? And then the last piece is collaborative, right? You got to be able to work together and uh, I'm going to need information and you folks are going to need information. So I think it's the ability to collaborate and come up with the right answer. This Any is, questions there? This is just so great. And thinking about like even my business, like I'm learning so much just by how you run your business and like thinking behind the chair for stylists and their clients, establishing trust, strong communication and boundaries, anticipating their needs. Like that is my favorite statement. And I've used it for many years when training assistants and, and all of that, like anticipate my needs, think ahead, what might I need? And it's such an amazing, like skill set, um, problem solving collaboration, like this in general, like it's, there's a reason you're successful and there's a reason you're different. And like that, wow, expectation, these five things are just like, anybody can implement that to their business and go above and beyond. And I just think it's really cool that you laid it out for us. So thank you for that. I was like, wow, 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 wow. So that's awesome. Let's keep going. I don't have any questions. I just am clapping. So, you know, your, your point was, is when do clients use us, right? Most of the folks that are on this call probably use their accountant during tax time, right? So if you look up here, this is when most clients are going to use um, their accountant or their advisor or the second one that we see is when they get a notice or they have a compliance issue, whether they owe sales tax for the state, 
each state that they're operating in or whether they get a notice because they didn't file something. So those are the two main areas that we see most of our clients and we hear from them. I won't hear from a lot of my stylists or salons or barbershops. However, the ones to hear from when I when they initially start up, right? What type of entity structure should I set up? Should I be a sole member? LLC, a limited liability corporation? Should I set up an S corporation? Should I just be doing businesses myself with my social security number or should I get a tax ID number? So that structure is really important. The second one is, is what do you do when you start up? Do I establish my own bank account or do I use my own bank account that I can also put my own personal money in? Um, what type of tax ID numbers do I need? Do I just use my social security? Do I need a federal ID number? What happens if I sell product? What type of receipts do I have? So the startup is probably the most critical time to use a consultant. But I think the biggest piece is up on the far left, which is this piece. And that's the communication and the collaboration that we currently have with, you know, um, a lot of our stylists and salons is the fact that there's ongoing communication, right? There's information that they're sharing and I'm sharing. I just spoke to a client that owns a, a tennis academy up in Massachusetts, and he wanted to discuss um, a situation. He had a business situation, and he wanted me to creatively think about it. He's looking to buy space, and he's then looking to um, set up a separate entity in order to rent that space from his um, academy. So those are the kind of communications and it's not all detailed. I mean, you're not looking at a two or three hour conversation. It's more of, you just need to know and trust that whatever you share, that they're digesting, they're processing and they're getting it back out. So if I had a look at something, you should be working with your advisor multiple times throughout the year. And I look at my clients and we do touch points with them, whether it's looking at their profit and loss statement, looking at their, um, profitability, looking at their utilization, looking at different metrics, coming up with a scorecard that says, if you don't meet X, Y, and Z, then you're not going to exist in a few years, or you're going to need to make some changes. You can't do that if you just show up to an accountant's office or a financial advisor's once a year at tax time with a box of receipts. It just can't happen. Or if you come and say, hey, listen, I've got a notice. And listen, I, I think that people are concerned that, oh, this is really expensive. It's really, really expensive. But I think if you put the right investments in, you're going to yield benefits. You know, looking at the advisor that's able to get you a paycheck protection loan or an idle loan or to help you get other grants or to look at the employee retention credit. And then all of a sudden you have additional funds coming in or help you with making financial decisions, making sure you're structurally sound. You know, looking at people that get notices, you know, to solve a problem of an IRS notice or a state notice is a lot more difficult than doing it right the first time. Absolutely. And I love when you say the startup plan is the most critical thing. I've got to be honest, Dave, I have people ask me maybe six to seven, six to 10 times a day. Will you do a class on how to start your booth rental business? Or will you how do I, what do I do? I need a tax ID. I need this. I need this. And what you just said, like, there are certain things I love to teach. Like I love to teach business, but I don't want to teach people their finances. You know, I want to teach people how to speak to their clients, how to, um, communicate properly, how to price their services. And like, I like to stay in my lane. And I think a lot of people, because they're asked and cause they know there's a need in the business, they'll teach these kinds of classes. But I feel like 
if you just make the investment, find the right person, build that relationship, you're going to get everything you need personalized to you through consulting. Like I think instead of doing like a class offered, like meet with somebody who's going to get to know your business. Does that land? Do you understand what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think each, each salon is different, right? And each uh, barbershop is different. Each um, booth is different. Each rental area is different. And everybody has unique needs. You have a unique clientele that's coming in. You have unique services that you're offering. You also have, I call them um, a, a additional ancillary services that you bring on or tag along. You have a, a different profitability model each person. So it's, you can't, it's not cookie cutter. Some it's of not. the basic things, yeah, some of the basic things I think that you've utilized and you've been successful. And I think that, you know, looking at the success of the first salon and where you are today is because you've put the right things in place early. You didn't wait, right? As soon as you started the salon, you're like, listen, I need to do A, B and C and you hammered it down and you knew where to go. And I think, you know, that's credit to you that, you know, you had good direction. So I think that starting up is probably the most important and making sure the structure's there, making sure that you have the good trusted advisors that you spoke of. Yeah. And you know, when I first started Gina Bianca hair, I was doing my QuickBooks on QuickBooks 2016. So I bought, I was like, I have a business. I need to do my QuickBooks. Like I just assumed like, I have to do my QuickBooks. Like this is a business. I got 2016 QuickBooks and every single month I would go through. And sometimes I'd go like six months and do them all in one day and want to kill myself. But I would do, um, every money that every dime that came in, every dime that went out, I would categorize it and reconcile. And like reconciling was like the bane of my existence. Cause it was just like, there was always a discrepancy and you have to go back through and redo it and redo it and redo it. And I'm so glad I did that because it helped me understand the profit and loss. It helped me understand the benchmarks. It helped me understand where my money was going. And that was huge for me. Do I do that all right now? No, you guys are helping me at the moment, but I even set up with um, your team. I was like, okay, we're on QuickBooks online now. I have to learn that because I'm used to the other one. So I have to make time to learn and do it. Like I want to have a part in it, but like, I don't have to do it in a hard, difficult way. And I think that, um, wanting to know, like, like, why are we doing all this? So like wanting to understand your business, that's like a huge deal. You know, like I want to know where my money is going. I want to know where we can grow. I want to know where we're bleeding profit wise. And I think that, thank you for saying I had it set up. I really just wanted to learn and I wasn't afraid to spend the money on the things that were going to protect the business. So I think that that's really, really important. And yeah, this is so great, Dave. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. So I, I think to your point, um, you know, starting out, um, I think the biggest thing to tell people is, you know, jumping into QuickBooks, you know, you may not want to right, right out of the gates. I think you got to walk before you run. It's like going to the gym the first day. Right? And then all of a sudden you decide you're going to work out for two hours and you're going to lift all these weights. I think you have to do it in steps. So the first thing I tell clients is, is just get a, a ledger, right? Paper ledger. If you're not comfortable with a paper ledger, use Excel right? Or use sheets, right? Just capture your income, capture what your expenses are, come up with the categories of what those expenses are. And I have some, um, within the presentation, I have some areas of expenses that you should be looking at, you know, in more detail. But I think that if you can capture it there, then you go to the next level. If it's going to use paper and pen, then go to Excel. And then as the business grows, you grow into QuickBooks. 
but I think that going out of the gates to jump into QuickBooks, it's overwhelming, especially totally. starting a brand, up a brand new business, meeting new clients, marketing. You have got so much on your plate, right? The biggest piece of advice is two. One, set up a separate bank account for your business. Number two is get a credit card that's tied to that. And the reason be being is, is all those transactions are captured. And the third piece of advice is don't put any of your own personal money in there other than startup money. Can't commingle, which means using your personal money and putting it into your business money. That's a big problem a lot of people, um, especially small salon owners do, is they, they're running their salon out of their personal checking account or business uh, uh, or savings account. I think what you need to do is, is bifurcate it. This is my personal and this is my business and just keep track of it that way. And starting out, they can use their social security number for at least a couple of months. And as long as they're like separating everything and keeping it clean, like the goal is always to have, I mean, I'm sure you're going to go through this, so I won't jump ahead, but, um, you know, I, and I'm I really, not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of the social security number. Yeah. I'd rather use it. I'd rather them immediately get a tax ID immediately. Number somebody, yeah, because you could do business as, right? I could do business as, you could do it, Gina, as Gina Bianca, right? Just doing business as and just get a tax ID number. You don't need to have your social security number out there and you don't want it out there because you're if right. somebody grabs it, you're going to get identity theft. We experience, you know, identity theft, unfortunately, because somebody grabs somebody's social security number from somebody's laptop or something that passed in the mail, et cetera. And identity, as you're aware, creates a lot of havoc. But you can just say, hey, I'm doing business as Gina Bianca here, and it's my name, but I'm doing business as, and I have a tax ID number. That's all you need to do. You're not setting up a corporation. You're sole sole proprietor. Great. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, yeah. I mean, I totally agree. Um, I started off like doing all of that and then finally got it all legitimized and it was great. And I was definitely commingling in the beginning, um, which I don't obviously don't recommend, but basically to sum up this slide, really work with somebody, a consultant, an advisor to help you get started you'll get it done so much faster. You'll have pointed advice towards your business and it will help you grow so much quicker with less confusion and less like, oh, I wonder if I'm doing this right. I wonder if I'm doing that right. And when I first started my business, I had an Excel spreadsheet, Dave. And then um, I had this like older lady. She was so cute. I forget her name. It was so long ago, but she just walked me through QuickBooks on QuickBooks uh, desktop. And she taught me and I learned and then eventually I did it, but it was very overwhelming. And I, I, I wish yeah, I had better it's, tools. It's, yeah. But, but I think a lot know, going of back to QuickBooks, it's very rigid, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's A, B, C, and D. If you miss one thing, you're going to get overwhelmed. Right. And you'll be like, forget it. I'm not going to do it. It's like going to the gym the third or fourth day. The first day you're all pumped up. The second day, yeah, you're going to go. The third and fourth day, it gets really hard. And I think it's the same with QuickBooks. As soon as you get into it, it's hard. It's not easy. It's very, very rigid. Yeah, totally agree. Um, but yeah, this is great. Thanks, Dave. We can keep going for sure. So, you know, questions clients ask us is what do we do? Right. What do you guys do as a firm? Right. And is it just tax preparation? And I think going back to that earlier slide is you can't just go to your, your accountant or your advisor at tax time. It, it just doesn't work. Right. Clients to come in with a bag of receipts and say, I'm here. Right. Those are the ones that are going to you're going to charge a lot for for service. Number two is, is that all going to um, 
you can, they're going to have a ton of compliance issues because they haven't filed them. And those are the clients that have a ton of notices that are sitting in their pile or bag of stuff that they just dropped off to you. Right. So you look at those two things and then you get to a point and it's like, hey, you know what? We got a problem here. So I think if you can use them throughout the year, that's the best. So, you know, looking at what we do, I think we started out really as I pointed out in the consulting. What's the formation of your business? What's the structure? What type of help can we get, you know, or accountant firm or an advisor help you with business financial assistance? What type of financial planning do you need as a small business? What type of operational plan do you have? Do you have a strategic plan? Do you have a business plan? Because you need to go to the bank with something if you're going to ask for money or your friends. So those are the things that you need help with from a consulting perspective. You also want to build a, a cash flow, right? You want to understand how much money is coming in, how much money is going to go out, and what at the end of the day is going to go to your bottom line. Um, we also work with a lot of clients on pre-acquisition mergers and acquisitions. So we've done some mergers of salons. We've done mergers of two pit businesses. We've developed operating agreements between those businesses. We also help them a little bit with their process and workflow and procedures. And the most important thing that we help clients with is profitability. How profitable are you? What are the metrics? What are other, other people in your size? What are they generating for profit? Awesome. You know, and then looking here, um, you know, accounting and bookkeeping, I think, you know, we've helped a lot of clients in that area as well. Just setting up their QuickBooks, helping them set up their chart of accounts, helping them quarterly and year end payroll tax returns, or if they have an issue, um, helping them do year end write up, sales and use and excise tax preparation, annual income and expense reports, a lot of different areas in there. And then the tax planning is part of the consulting. Um, and then the, obviously the federal tax preparation presentation is more of if the problem and how to address it right whether or not you got a notice whether or not you're getting audited whether or not there's a problem that didn't file something just needs to get resolved and then the last piece is unfortunately um, everything in this world is litigious or you need support I have a client up in um, New Hampshire who owns a salon and they were shut down because of an insurance issue they or I'm sorry they shut down because of um, the building was um, uh, went down because of uh, a fire. So what we had to do is, is we had to um, build a case for the insurance company as still lost revenues. So you need to use those types of resources, and we were able to get them some insurance money for that um, uh, for that loss of uh, revenue for those three months that they were not able to operate. So it's so much easier to like have the support when you're working with someone consistently who just understands and knows your business. Like it's just, it's a relationship. Right. And it, it's like you call me or people call me and it's like, I know them. I've been working them for the year. I'm not here January through March. And then after March or April 15th, I'm gone. I mean, we have clients, you know, that call us throughout the year, Christmas day, or not Christmas day, but the day before Christmas and or Christmas Eve and they're calling us and we're here, right? Somebody's here answering the phone or answering an email um, or responding to some sort of request that you have. So that consistency is there. It's not like it's a storefront that opens up and then it closes. Yeah. Amazing. You guys do so much. Like if you're in mastermind looking at that slide, you're like, whoa, like they do everything like totally. And there's so much that goes into it. And if any of those things hit your doorstep, having the support and just knowing there's somebody to call, like it just gives you that sense of certainty and like, okay, 
like I have support with this instead of like spiraling out. And as Harris says, like creative artists, like when we're focused on clients and we have enough to deal with clients, like I'm sure you can relate like with your art that you do, Dave, but like there's so much. So when something hits our door, it gets overwhelming. And a lot of us are burnt out anyway, because, and you know that like, all, like every, everyone's burnt out with their work, but like, just when something hits your door to know you have that support, super amazing. Great. So, you know, you had asked a question early on and, and the question was, is how do you choose a advisor? What are the traits, right? So the first one is, is they're highly organized, right? So if you come to somebody's office and they've got a ton of files sitting around, are they organized? Do they look organized? Are they put together? Um, do, are they thinking ahead? So I think that's one trait that you would want to make sure that somebody that you're working with is extremely organized. The second one is, is we brought this up earlier, is, is they're up to date. They know the latest trends. They know what's going on. They have a real pulse on what the industry is bringing on, whether it's an audit area, whether it's funding that they need to go after. Those are the, you know, another area. The third one is, is patience and being patient and the ability to look and listen and understand a problem um, and to give them the right answer. Um, you know, fourth is, is, you know, being attention to detail, right? Making sure that every little piece or every other document is you know made sure that's inclusive or when they're putting together a plan that they look at all the different angles um being honest right somebody that's sincere will tell you if something doesn't look right um communication both written verbally and um also just general there's got to be a good sense of communication not something that's sarcastic putting you down somebody that's promoting you and promoting your business um, somebody that's efficient. You don't want 10 emails from somebody or 10 phone calls from somebody asking the same thing. You want one email communication. And the last one is, is that they're focused on their customer or their client. Yeah, this is amazing. And it's just literally, if you took those things as a hairstylist, you'd be a true professional. It's just true professionalism. I think that that's amazing and just a great, uh, great standard of traits to have to be professional. And yeah, you guys do embody all of that. <laughs> Thank you. I know this isn't a honey roast of Champy uh, <laughs> Financial, but like it, it is true. Like you guys really do go above and beyond. And only because I had bad experience before do I like know that, you know, because you never know unless you've had like, you don't know great unless you've experienced not so great, right? Thank you. Yeah. And we try, you know, we make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And we, what we, I think the biggest thing is, is if you make a mistake, you own up to it and you try to fix it. Right. Totally. Cause you can't be perfect. Your team can't be perfect. Everybody has a bad day. Right. Um, you know, whether somebody worked late or somebody got up early or something else going on in their life, everybody has makes a mistake and everybody's got some sort of situation underneath it. But as long as you can be honest about it and say, Hey, you know what? We fumbled, we're going to pick it up and we're going to drive to the goal line. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the salon business, unless you had any other questions about working with an accountant, working about with our firm or anything else, because I think you wanted a little bit of background about us, where we started, where we are today, what we offer, and a little bit about what you should be looking for for some of the, the traits. Yeah, I mean, all that was great. If you have anything more you want to add, please, but we can just keep on going. This is awesome. Perfect. So, you know, a little bit about the salon business is, is um, you can either rent a chair, you could become an employee, 
of a salon. You could subcontract or you could start your own salon. There's really four avenues that most stylists or barbershops or um, uh, stylists they face, right? You can run a chair and then you become a little, um, you've got a little booth and you have your own business. Um, essentially at that point, there's certain criteria that you need to take. Uh, one is, is I would definitely establish your own bank account, right? I would definitely get your own federal tax ID number. Um, I would definitely look at getting a sales tax ID number. Those three things are really, really important. Secondly, I would also keep track of what expenses that you have. You know, the other thing is, is, is your business is a very cash-based business, right? There's a ton of cash that goes in and out of it. Um, I had worked with a, a, a barber about a month ago and he had contacted me and said, Dave, I, I want to buy a house. Um, we're having a baby and I want to buy a house. And I had never worked with him before. And I, I looked at his tax returns and he was showing very little to no money at all. And I said to him, I said, you're going to have a tough time getting a loan because there is no money that you're showing on your tax return. It's great to have all this money in cash, but now you have to go out and you have to try to get some loan. Number one, you have a, a duty to file your taxes with the income that you earn. And then secondly, for borrowing power, you want to sh make sure that all your revenue is shown. So he needed to go and to borrow money for this home. He wanted to buy a $300,000 home and he wanted a $250,000 mortgage. And he went to the bank and the bank laughed at him because his, you know, his 1099 showed $10,000 and he brought it down to like $5,000. He wrote off some expenses against it. And he's like, I really want this loan. And I said, you know what? We have to redo and really think through all of your um, tax returns and also moving forward. And we put together a plan that allowed him to um, get that loan. Um, but it just took some time. And I think the biggest thing I would tell you is, is you know, be upfront. There's some tax strategies, right? You could show that the revenue is there, but you could write off some expenses, right? You can um, also put money away in retirement. There's a lot of advantages. Um, you know, he had health insurance. He didn't realize that he could write off the health insurance against his taxable income. So the first piece is renting a chair, right? The second one is, is becoming an employee. You certainly can become an employee. With the new tax laws that came out, unfortunately, you can't write off any expenses if you became an employee of a salon. The third one is, is you could be a subcontractor, which is very similar to renting a chair. Essentially, you are an employee, but they're treating you as a subcontractor. And you have to be careful in that situation. Essentially, are you an employee or are you truly a subcontractor to that salon or that barbershop or that um that shop and i think that's something that you have to question right we, one is is are they good i was gonna say we have a lot of that in our industry um people getting taken advantage of really badly from the salon and just not knowing like they'll be a 1099 but they're getting paid commission and they don't have any write-offs because the salon provides the color but the salon treats them as if they're an employee giving them a schedule a dress code booking their appointments it's the same thing as being an employee except the salon doesn't take responsibility for the payroll taxes and i always think that's illegal like you can't do that and a lot of stylists don't understand and they're missing out and they end up owing so much money on their taxes and they're like what is going on so i'm glad that you brought that up and you have to be careful with that sorry to cut you off no problem so with good point to the subcontractor though to your point is you're going to pay out of the gate if let's say it's ten thousand dollars that you got as a 1099 you're going to pay 14.2 percent social security and medicare on that money 
out of the gate. You're also going to pay federal taxes on that. So you're looking at, you're going to pay $2,500 in federal taxes. And then you also have to pay state taxes on that. So you got to ask your quote, self the question, are they tell what to do, how to do it and when to do it. And so prior to the pandemic, not be able to collect unemployment if you left that position. So, you know, before you become or create a relationship with a salon, you really need to understand, am I an employee or am I truly a subcontractor? Do I have the ability to make my own schedule? Do I dictate when I come in and when I, when I leave? Do I also get the ability to pick which clients I'm going to work with? Do Does the income come to me? or does it go to my salon and then they pay me back out as commissions so these are some questions that you know come out that you really need to get into and understand absolutely and then the last starting the last one is starting your own salon that's a bigger right it's not just saying hey i've got a space and i'm opening up a salon gina brought this up early you have to have a group of advisors that you truly trust and you really have to put a plan on paper even if it's on a sheet of paper right you get up early on a sunday morning and you have a cup of coffee and you know you look outside your window and you write down what your vision is what your mission is how you want to make money how many employees you want to have you know i don't want to get any bigger as a firm because then i won't be able to treat the clients that i have and i think that's something that you've got to do is is how many employees do you really want to have how many clients do you really want to have how much is too much right when you're there uh, on a saturday at seven or eight o'clock and you're still cutting hair or you're styling you don't want to do that so there's got to be a work-life balance that you really need to look at yeah that's incredible advice and i love that you said get up on a sunday morning sit down look out your window and write your vision down so many stylists and salon owners and people i talk to they're like i need a business plan it's just like if you're gonna start this like shouldn't you want to write out your vision and like that like you are in charge of your vision you don't have to follow in everybody's footsteps and duplicate something else like you can make it your own and if it's not centered around your needs and what you want and the outcomes that you want and like the reason why you're opening it so many people open a salon because they want freedom they want to be the boss they want to have the flexibility they want to tell people what to do all of those things but it's really about building a brand and a culture and i love that this is great like that you brought all this up and um, at Gina Bianca Hair, we had everything. It was team-based pay. So I paid hourly. One of my biggest things was that I wanted everything legit. Like I wanted everything legitimized. Um, and the, the, my staff claimed their tips. They had huge income. So all of them were buying houses, cars, all of that stuff. And it was really important for me as the owner to have the business situated and to have the business like legit because then I knew that I'd be able to serve my employees. And if my employees were taken care of, they'd be able to serve the clients. And it was a lot of work. Um, and it was a full-time leadership job. And as you know, Dave, like going off on education and traveling and like all the stuff I was doing, sometimes when you take yourself out of that equation, it's hard to cultivate that culture and keep that culture if you're not there. So, you know, having the business I have now where everyone does their own business, I can live my dreams and it kind of fits my lifestyle. So sitting down and thinking like, two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, like, what do I want to be doing? And how can my salon help me get there, not hold me back from getting there? I think that's really uh, a good point, right? Because if you have all these employees that you're working, and then all of a sudden, you're gone, you're doing something else, you don't know who's minding the store, right? Unless you have the right leadership team, and you did have the right leadership team, and you put the right leadership team in place. But still, it's not their business. Right. And at the end of the day, you need to make everybody successful. And that's if you can make everybody on your team successful, 
then you'll be successful. And that's kind of going back to our mantra of what we try to do for our clients. If they're successful, we're successful. Absolutely. Great information. This is awesome. So these are some of the decisions, just looking at different pieces of it. And I'm going to get in a little bit more. Um, you know, renting a booth advantages, um, you become your own boss, right? You, you, nobody, you don't have to listen to anybody. You come and go as you please. Um, there's nobody coming. You're responsible for your own accounting, your own clientele, your own record keeping and your own supplies. Um, this is a pretty much a model, I would say, probably, would you agree, Gina, probably 70 to 80% of the industry that everybody has kind of their own booth. Yes, our industry landscape over the last five years, Dave, has changed completely with social media and the ability and desire for people to build their own personal brand. Most of the industry is booth rental. And because of that trend of stylists, you know, growing in a salon, leaving to go booth rental, many salon owners are going booth rental and saying, I'm done. Like for me, I was like, whoa, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I want people to pay me to learn from me. I don't want to pay people to learn from me anymore. Like it's a total flip. Our industry is just completely completely changing and there will always be a place for commission salons and for employee-based salons because they're never going to go anywhere but it's going to take a very specific strong kind of leader who's organized and like all of those traits you said for professionalism highly organized up to date with the trends patient detail oriented great communicators honest efficient and customer and team centric those things are huge and i think the right owners are going to be like shining the cream is going to rise to the top right and what you're saying here being a booth renter, there are its advantages, but the disadvantages and the response not disadvantage, but the responsibility of managing the business, doing your accounting, booking your appointments, confirming your appointments, following up with your guests, marketing to get those clients in your chair, um, keeping all of your records, your formulas, all everything situated, all of your new guest forms, like all of that stuff. And then in your inventory and supplies and retail. So when you're making 50, 50 commission in your salon, the other 50% is going towards all of that. And especially if you have a guest care team, um, and a salon owner, think of their two salaries, that's 20%. So you're really going down now as a booth rental stylist. So you know, you're making 50%, but 20% is going towards those things. And that 20% for you is time, energy, and money. So it's really like, it's for the right people who, and they will be successful, you know? So it's really thinking how much time do I want to invest in all of this? And what do I really want to do? And there are some amazing salons with amazing leaders and their businesses set up correctly, who you can have a beautiful income and career with. You know, so, and a lot of people go back to commission after realizing like, oh my God, this is so much more work. Um, so it really, there's a place for everybody. Absolutely. I mean, you may think they're like the smallest little thing, like just even going to the bank, how much work that is. And time. Like doing a deposit. Yeah. I mean, last night, I think it was 1130 at night, I was going to the bank to make a deposit, right? Because that's what time I got out. And so that's a piece of the business that people don't see. Um, but when you become your own rent your own booth, you have to do the banking, right? You have bills to pay um, and you have to, you, you just, you've got to be able to take all these different skills. And like you said, you're not just cutting hair hundred percent of the time. You're probably maybe dedicating 60 to 70% of the time cutting hair and, and styling and then 30%, 20 to 30% doing this back end work, which is the marketing, the, um, the accounting, the record keeping, ordering supplies, managing supplies, um, 
following up on, on different things, meeting with your advisor, meeting with your accountant, looking at different avenues. So I think that you've got to be on that mindset. If you want to specifically just do hair or just do some sort of um, art, um, art, right? You, you, you've got to, then, then you just become an employee of somebody. But if you're willing to take the risk and with the risk becomes reward. And financially, there are a lot of rewards, not only from doing write-offs, but from um, being able to put more money away in retirement to um, you taking 100% your rent of whatever income that comes in. So I, I think those are the pieces people need to understand that, yeah, I could rent a chair. I'm going to have to pay rent, but everything else is mine. Totally. And, uh, but I also think Dave, to your point is to say, you know, remember that if you're working for an employee based salon, that salon is paying a portion of your payroll taxes. And when you come in and do your own thing, you're going to be paying that portion and your portion. So it is expensive. And I think that if you can scale and if you can have some multiple revenue streams, and if you can build a ticket and provide that great experience and keep your books full, this is great. I think it's for people who really love it and really want to do it, will enjoy it. And for those who kind of jump into it and they don't know, they realize like, whoa, this is a huge drain on my mental health. And we're not trying to discourage anyone. I'm not trying to discourage anyone more of just let you know, like what goes into it. Um, and you know, my least favorite part is dealing with clients. And it took me a really long time to have those boundaries of leaving my phone at the salon and like not looking at emails. And like, I never really got great at it. I still struggle with boundaries because we always want to respond right away, but dealing with clients and unhappy clients, someone needing changes, someone just having the boundary of the salon and the guest care team, such an, such an amazing bonus. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Absolutely. I, I think to your point that that helps out a lot is, you know, when you become your own or you rent your own chair, those clients are yours and you need to keep them and, and you have to manage them and you have to manage and cultivate those relationships. Um, you know, granted, they're going to come into your salon, you're going to come into your booth, but at the end of the day, it's your mini business and you have to treat it as such, right? Whether it be the cleanliness of it, whether the attention to your tools, um, that they're laid out and they're organized, right? People have perceptions. It's like people come into my office and if I have files all over the place, they'll be like, he's not highly organized, right? He has no idea what he's doing, right? Or he, you know, looking at a magazine that's dated from 1985 or 1995 or 2000, and they don't have the most latest edition, right? How current is this person, right? Is the, is the place clean? Is it smell nice? What's the ambiance? What's the presence? Right. And then we, you know, we have the whole COVID piece, right? How are they treating COVID? Um, I went into one of my clients that has a barber shop um, in uh, North Hartford and everybody had no masks on and, and the barbers did not have the masks on as well. And, you know, I just said to the owners, I said, listen, you guys have to get on top of this because people, there's a perception, number one. And then number two is, is you're going to have the health professionals in here and they're going to shut you guys down. And you're going to get fined. I think it's like a $3,000 fine um, for not following the COVID rules. So I think you've got to look at this. This is your mini business, you know, and there's pieces of it. Um, like even just taking the garbage out, like I take the garbage out, right? So you just have to take different actions and different um, pieces of um, running your business, not just being the artist.
Totally. And thinking of the client optics, like what are the clients seeing? What are the clients worried and concerned about? I used to tell my staff, I used to say, okay, I want you to go sit at your chair for 15 minutes and look around and really take in what your client is seeing. And many stylists who I've trained, that was one of part of our training is like, I want you to go sit in your station and look around. And I want you to act like a client and, and really evaluate what the salon looks like and what you want your clients to see. And that was a huge part of our training. And a lot of them really like that stuck with them and they still do it today. And I'm, I'm glad, but the client optics and what they see and are concerned about is so, so important. You know, I, I have a couple other things here in regards to renting a booth and, and some of the facts associated with it, right? You have to budget for advertising, right? If you're going to go off and you're going to start your own booth, you have to do some sort of advertising, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on um, Snapchat, Instagram, um, whether it's putting an ad in the local paper or church bulletin, you have to do somebody. Somebody has to know who you're about and what you are. You have to be creative about it. Um, the second is, is a lot of people go out and they necessarily don't get the appropriate insurance and i think to your point uh, gina is regards to if they work for an, their employee based some of their um, malpractice insurance or their insurance uh, liability insurance is covered by the salon but if you did decide to go open and rent your own booth you definitely need to get some sort of liability and malpractice insurance god forbid something happens so these are pieces that, that are expenses but it kind of, again, you're that owner. So you need to make sure that these things are in place. Um, you know, I struggle with a lot of clients because what happens is they work on a system that says, I'll collect the fee later, right? They don't get the money up front or do they get it before the services are complete and people struggle. And then all of a sudden they're sitting with a huge accounts receivable. So, and I think Gina, you probably can opine a little bit more on that. Yeah. Like I, I totally, if you're the type who will take a guest who says, I pay you later, that's what you're going to attract. And people will talk about that. Like if you think about the guests that you want in your chair, you like for me and Dave, the total opposite for me, I require my guests to pay in full before they book the appointment. And that's I like, think, I think that's it's important. I would rather have a guest who values my time enough to pay in full, like for my coaching, for my hair appointments, you pay in full, you book the appointment. And if you cancel within uh, 24 hours notice, um, it's a $50 fee. Um, and if you cancel or reschedule outside of that, I'll move it around. It's fine. I'm flexible, but I do require guests who are serious working with me to pay up front and show that they want to work with me. And it's really just about att attracting your ideal customer. So if you have the guest, you just like, I'll pay you later or a payment plan or all of that. I did payment plans even for my classes and it blew up in my face because it's people won't pay people will cancel and you know I was always very generous with stuff like that but it comes back to bite you so be careful and remember everything that you do you train your client how to treat you if your clients treat you like crap look in the mirror you're the problem hello you're the problem because you train them how to treat you so having these boundaries and having these systems they're hard at first because you might not feel like you're worth it and you might not feel like you deserve to have clients like this or people who treat you good if you've been treated bad your whole life listen you deserve it and it's hard at first but it will be worth it once you start getting those clients in so i love that point um, you know, the other pieces are is complying with IRS and state obligations for 
whether they're independent contractors or employees, make sure that you comply with all those regulations. Um, also create professional materials. You don't want a piece of paper just sitting out there. You know, create business cards, create a service menu, create um, some sort of systematic approach to your salon or to your booth or to your shop chair, right? This is how we're gonna do it. Let's set up your next appointment as soon as they leave, right? Some sort of process, right? And everybody has to follow that same process. And we're a society, everybody wants to have their own process because we feel like we're entitled to it. Um, I think it's your job and your responsibility to come up with a systematic approach and a systematic process. You know, you may have to move a little bit, wiggle around a little bit, but at the end of the day, you've got to follow 10 steps and those 10 step process will make success, right? We have a systematic process when our documents come to us or our clients, a new client comes on, we have a welcome package that they fill out. All that information is kept in, we record it in our system, we send them out an email saying we received everything. And then within 72 hours, they get a phone call from somebody in our team. And then we set up an appointment. We follow up an email with that appointment. We send them a link to our Zoom room. So those are those systematic approach and process that I think every business needs. And it doesn't take a lot, right? It's gotta be real simple. If you make it too complex, right? Nobody's gonna follow it. But if you make it real simple, hey, I got your appointment. This is your next appointment. Um, I need your fee up front. I have your contact information. And if there's a problem, please email me, like Gina said, 24 hours ahead of time. So Absolutely. If you, put, if you communicate it up front, not a problem. Yeah, totally. And going back to collect all service fees for all of you guys wanting to take a deposit or take uh, all of that, that's what he's talking about too, is making sure that you're securing your, or what I'm talking about is like, collect all fees. Don't let people pay you later. Um, and to going back to the point, create professional materials. I wrote down your website, business cards. You already put that service menus, pricing. So, so many stylists and saloners struggle with pricing and they struggle with the emotional discounting and all of that stuff, but really having a set, these are all boundaries, right? Set price list, um, set product usage standards, set time standards. So, you know, if I go over this, I'm charging for it. And like Dave said, if you set it up up front, great. So like Brene Brown says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And people aren't sitting there dissecting the whole appointment. Like maybe some people will, one in a million are gonna sit there and really judge on you, but done is better than perfect. So even if you get this stuff together and then you do it and you're like, oh, this discrepancy, I can fix this, implement it, and you tweak it and go and tweak it and go. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it being done is great. So I love that, Dave. I also put cancellation policy, booking structure, booking dialogue, um, social media, like your profiles, your page, all of those things that make you look professional. LinkedIn, LinkedIn absolutely. Consultation. Um, what questions are you asking during consultation? And I like to get the pre-book during the consultation because why am I going to do your hair if I'm not doing my job to let you know when to come back, how often, how much it's going to cost, like having that clear, clear, clear service, you're going to be above and beyond. Perfect. You know, so the, I'm going to jump on. Um, so the other thing is, is keeping records for tax purposes. You know, um, you do need to keep really, really detailed records, whether it be bank statements, whether it be credit card statements, um, a record of how much income you brought in, how much you sold in product, what product you bought, what product you sold, how much product you have at the end of the year, um, whether it be color, etc. Those are critical things. Also, list of expenses. Where did you spend all your money? 
right over the year did you spend it in advertising did you spend it in professional services fees did you spend it in insurance did you where did you spend all of these expenses um the other piece is is um, i think um i'm a big proponent of this and i know gina is as well go to professional education seek out professional education i love taking classes um, I do it at night. I used to love to travel to classes because then I would be totally dedicated just to absorb all of the educational experience. And immersed. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I've got two young kids. So for me, I come home and they're all over me. So I can't take that. But if I do a week and travel somewhere and thank God, and hopefully after we um, get out of this pandemic, we can get back to that. But I would just take the week and I would take the education and I would write at night. I would think about what I learned and I would rewrite it and I would kind of twist it a little bit and put it in my world, right? What did I learn today and how can I apply it as soon as I get back, right? Whether it be something about marketing, whether it be about a strategy for a client, right? And, and essentially that's what I do when I do my webinars at night is, is I sit there and I write a list and say, which client can I use this on this strategy, right? So one of those webinars I took last night was on the employee retention credit. And I made a list of which clients I need to call later today to say, we're gonna start working on trying to get you some additional tax savings through this COVID um, as part of the CARES Act, they extended this and who's gonna impact and who's gonna benefit from it. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I feel like we're cut from the same cloth, Dave. <laughs> um, and you know, the other piece is paying taxes, right? You don't want to get hit at tax time and just say, oh God, I got this huge tax bill. There's something called estimated tax payments. This covers your social security and federal and state taxes. You should do these on a quarterly basis. You should talk to your accountant or your advisor and say, hey, this is how much money I think I'm going to bring in. This is what my expenses look like. Um, I have health insurance. And by the way, I may want to, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. I may want to put some money away in retirement because there are some benefits for doing it. Um, both from a tax savings perspective, as well as a retirement tax credit that the IRS offers. So, you know, you may want to look at that. So, but at the end of the day, what do you think I'm going to owe? And you're not going to be a hundred percent, but as long as you're 80% there, it's better than getting a big bill at the end of the, you know, tax time. And again, that goes back to that first slide is when do I talk to my advisor or my accountant? It's not a tax time. You need to touch base with them a couple of times during the year. Um, obviously, you know, renting a booth, you have to purchase all your supplies, you have to maintain those, you have to tra track and maintain your inventory, and then, you know, you're using your own phone or, or your own email correspondence or your own brand in order to communicate with your clients and manage your bookings. And you're doing it, right? You're doing it all, unless you're that big that you need to hire somebody and you may want to, right? There's a lot of college kids and high school kids that are looking for a job, right? So if you're paying somebody $12 an hour to sit there and manage your schedule, it may be a good investment, right? Like I know for our firm this time of year, we bring in two or three college and high school interns to help with managing the workflow and also to managing our phone volume. So, I have a question. You know, yep. Um, for hire, if I'm a booth renter, renting a booth independent, and I want to hire an assistant and pay them legitimately, because I know a lot of us pay on Venmo, and we just kind of like throw money at them and we're like, thanks for being here or throw cash at them. If we wanted to hire an assistant and have like somebody help us out uh, for our 
for a business. I mean, is that a 1099 relationship? If you have hours and you, you have like a total like job description for them, I feel like that's a W2. It kind of is, but I probably, you know, do, do you want the, the, the book answer? The book answer is, is there truly a W2, right? But you could probably get away with a 1099. It's not like you're paying them 50 or $60,000 and you're treating them as a 1099. I mean, if it's a three, four grand, 1099 is appropriate. Anything over $600, you're required to give 1099 for. Um, and I think for that type of position, a 1099 is appropriate. For you to go get a payroll and do it on a weekly basis, it's expensive, right? It Especially is. for somebody that small. But if you had a, multiple people that you were using and you had a salon and you had all these stylists, then at that point you may want to look at, at doing the W-2. But for somebody that small, I think a W-2 is appropriate. A lot of my friends- oh, I'm sorry, W-2, are... 1099, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think that a lot of my friends too are going to love this. And um, all you have to do is download the 1099 form, send it to your send it to your person who's working with you and give that to your advisor, right? So it's a W-9 form? A W-9, yep. The W-9 goes to them uh, essentially, before, and, and I always ask for it before you even pay them a nickel. Because if you pay them and then you ask for their information, they're never going to give it to you. So my policy That's is- That's happened to is, me. Yeah, I ask for it right up front before I give you a check. And that W-9 has, they certify it's, this is who they are. You get a copy of, you know, uh, their social security number, they sign it. So God forbid there's an issue later on, the IRS can go back. And then in come January, first week of January, you get that to your accountant or your advisor or your payroll service. And you tell them how much you paid that person. And then they would prepare a 1099 um, that would go to that individual. And then you would fill out a form that goes both to the federal government and your state government that kind of shows who the person is, how much you paid them. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. That's a question I get all the time. So many people ask, well, how do I hire assistant? It's so complicated. I don't want to get in trouble. I want to pay them legit and really thinking about like, okay, how much are you paying them? What are they doing? Like, how are they being, is it profitable for you to put them on payroll and W2 and all of that? It is a lot to think about. I mean, I think that the threshold for me is about 20, you know, between 10 and 20,000, you know, technically they are an employee, but if you can work through in that they are truly a subcontractor, it's a lot easier for you, especially if it's just you and maybe one other person. But if you start growing and then you have a, like a large salon, they truly are a W2 employee. And I would even think like if you're renting a chair and you have the access to the chair six days a week and you work four days a week and they work two days a week. So there's a way that they can make their own revenue. Um, that's even better because it's 1099. They can collect their own money and it kind of makes them their own employee, but they could still help you and assist with you. And instead of paying you rent, they can use your their hours. And, you know, it's a it's a good relationship that way, too. Does that make sense, Dave? So. Absolutely. And that's what I would definitely do. Um, you know, I wanted us to, to uh, push over, push forward a little bit in regards to the business skills needed um, accounting, right? Uh, any business person, you need to understand math and you have to be able to look at a profit and loss statement. And it may scare you, but it's not that hard. Essentially, it's how much money you brought in versus what you spent. And it's not money that you spend on yourself, but it's really money that you spend on the business. And then whatever's left is your profit. And essentially that's a profit and loss statement. Um, Gina and I look at things from metrics. We look at what the gross profit margin looks like, what the net profit margin looks like. We look at the utilization. These are a little bit more sophisticated metrics. 
and I think as your business grows, I think those are the things that you'll want to look at, especially if you have a salon with multiple stylists or multiple barbers. Awesome. And then marketing, advertising, promotions, public relations, these are things that, that are pretty critical. Um, you know, some of the decisions you need to come up with if you decided to do your own um, and go off and start your own booth is business name, the location, is it accessible? Does it have good visibility? Is it handicap accessible? Does it have high traffic? Um, how's the parking, right? Um, I had a client owns a barbershop and they called me and said, listen, I want to buy a building. And I looked at it and I just said, the parking is terrible, right? You have 10 style, you have 10 barbers, right? You're going to need at least a parking space for 20 parking, you know, 20 cars. I said, and if you don't have that and they had six parking spots, I said, you have 10 barbers, where are you guys going to park? And then as you know, with a barbershop, it's typically every half hour that somebody will go in and out of there. So where are you going to put 20 cars? And they thought about it and they realized that that wasn't the right space. Um, a timeline, right? How quickly can you get into something? How fast can you move? Can you migrate pretty quickly? Can you push this thing forward? Um, can you wait, right? So that's the other piece. And then the written agreement is, is looking at the types of agreements that you have with um, whether it's a lease and then also you, whether it's an employee or a vendor, what's the contract that's kind of going with that. So these are things that you need to kind of pull together. Um, this is great. Of, Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. So the types of ownership that you have is, um, again, you know, are you going to be a franchise? Are you going to be your own, right? What's the business? What's the concept? What makes you unique, right? Everybody has the unique stick, right? So I know for us, it's more consultative. We're not just going to do accounting work. We're going to look at your business. We're going to help you. We're going to guide you. We're going to give you some direction. That's our shtick. And I think as a stylist or as a salon owner or as a barbershop, what's the unique thing that's going to make you different than everybody else out there? So what's your concept? Um, you know, looking at what's unique about your partner or supplier or your distribution channel is something specifically unique that you can get supplies cheaper or more efficiently or more quicker or you have access to. And that's a competitive advantage. Um, do you have a unique way that you style hair or a unique uh, cosmetology skill that you have, right? So looking at these things, is there something that you, unique that you offer? Um, you know, what type of investments are you making? So that's the big thing that we really didn't get into is, is what's the investment that you have to put up front in order to go off on do your own thing? And there's a startup cost, right? You have to have at least two months worth of work capital. And what I mean by working capital is money in the bank. And you may say, well, how do I figure that out? It's pretty easy. Uh, rent, if it's $700 or $400 a week, so that's $1,600 a month times two is $3,200 that you should have in the bank. You have to have insurance. You have to have some advertising money. You also have to have money to live on, right? Because you may not have any clients come in for two months. So typically to start out, I would say you probably need between, and Gina, you could probably give me this number as well. I think if you had to start off on your own, you probably need between $2,500 and $5,000 in the bank to really be successful and to put the right things in place. If you want to set up a limited liability corporation and you decided you want to be a sole proprietor and you wanted to set up a corporation, and I'm going to get into that in a minute, you need those types of um 
uh, investment up front and you have to have those funds available to make sure that you're successful because there may not be any work coming in for until you can get your marketing and your promotions out there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that another big thing with having that savings and having that startup capital uh, would be to give yourself a little breathing room so that you have time to get all of this done. Um, one of the biggest things I hear from stylists is I don't have time and they'll jump into booth rental, jump into salon ownership and they jump in and they're so broke that they're working, 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 working. And then instead of getting these things done and checked off, which doesn't take too long, like having a great meeting with your advisor, maybe spending two or three days getting your ducks in a row, setting up inventory, cleaning, setting up your spot, like having a week off where you're not stressed out to like get all of this done is going to be so much better than always having it in the back of your head being like, I should do this. I should do that. And we should all over ourselves. And we have a really hard time serving the clients and taking care of our guests. And then we're not giving the best experience and then they don't come back. So setting yourself up to win and being prepared, having that money in the bank, I totally agree. I would say between five, between three and $5,000 is enough. And if you don't have that in the bank and you can't make that pretty quickly, you might have to figure out a way to elevate your guest experience and elevate what you're doing. So you can get that or have additional revenue streams. Like it, it's, it is all possible. It's just looking at it and figuring it out. You know, and the other piece to this is, is going and getting funding, right? If you don't have access to that, it's very, very difficult to get funding, but it is something that's not terrible or, or not impossible to do. You have three sources. One is, is you can go to a family or a friend and ask them to borrow the funds. Number two is, is um, you know, I, you would want to do something sort of, there was some nominal interest rate for that or some sort of rate of return. You don't want to give them any ownership into your entity. Rather, you have an, a formal agreement that says, hey, I'm going to borrow three to $5,000. I'm going to pay you over the next two years. And the interest rate is going to be three to 5%. They're not going to earn that in the bank. And if they have a lot of trust and faith in you, they'd be willing to do that. The second is, is you can go to your local bank or credit union and ask them to borrow money. And then the third is you can always look at the Small Business Administration and look at doing some sort of loan um, that's called the 7A loan through the SBA, and you potentially get some funding from them. Um, if you were not in existence in prior to the pandemic, then you're not entitled to the economic disaster relief loan that I talked about earlier. So you had to be in existence before January 31st of 2020 in order to get that idle uh, loan. But so I would love Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I would love to just add in that when I was starting Gina Bianca Hair, I applied for every loan that my accountant at the time, I mean, he didn't really help me, to be honest with you. It was kind of just like Googling and Googling, and I got denied a lot of times, and I actually gave up on my dream of opening a salon, and I went back to school for social work, and one day, I, I would, just did two semesters in school for social work, and I did hair one day a week, and I lost all my clients, and I was just like, you know what, not one more day, I'm doing this. I quit school. I got into a salon and I worked every day and I saved all my money. I saved 25K and I opened my salon debt-free and I started small. I saved my money. I worked really hard and it is possible, but I would never have jumped into that without that money in the bank because I didn't want to like totally go into debt. And I got declined, I you know, I got declined. So I, instead of letting it like destroy my dreams, I just worked a little bit harder and saved and I stopped spending money on stupid shit. I stopped and I was like, this is the priority. All the money I made, right aside for this and it is possible 
I think that's a huge success. You know, you, you've got to look at your story and what you've done, and it, it's you, you get it's a credit to yourself how much uh, energy and time you put into your venture, and you've been successful, and you know, and you continue to be whether it be in your the network or the education or your mind work groups. I mean, you look at all these things and everything that you do you put your 100% into it. So, you know, I give you a lot of credit for that, especially being at your age and being Thanks, where you Dave. are. So Thank I got to so plug much. you a little bit too. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, you know, one of the things people ask us too is types of salon types of ownership, right? You could be a sole proprietor, which means it's just you and you're using your federal tax ID number or, or to Gina's point, you can use your social security number. I'd prefer you just got a, a EIN number or a tax ID number and you just were a sole proprietor. The second is, is you can set up a limited liability corporation um, through your state um, and then you can apply for a federal tax ID number for that corporation. And you can also apply for a state ID number and that protects you, right? It puts an umbrella over you. God forbid there was a problem. It helps you protect you or insulate you. God forbid somebody falls, somebody gets hurt, somebody decides to sue you. That limited liability corporation, they can only go after the limited liability corporation. They can't go after you. Um, you have to make sure that any marketing materials that you have have the LLC next to it, and they cannot be as yourself. If you, it's your name is associated with anything, and your advertising is is hey, it's it's Joe Smith, right? Doing business as um, Joe's Auto Body LLC, that's called piercing the corporate veil. And what that essentially means is they can go after Joe individually and not after his limited liability corporation. So you need to make sure that everything that you do has the limited liability corporation associated with it. Um, the second one is, is a partnership or a limited liability partnership. This could be an entity that you have multiple people in. And the only thing that I would suggest is if you decide to go into a partnership with somebody that you put together an operating agreement. The operating agreement essentially is the rules of the road and the rules say if we decide that we're going to disband or if i die or if i don't like what you do from an accounting perspective or i don't like something that you do we go back to the operating agreement operating agreement is usually eight to ten pages long um, i typically help draft them because most of it's business related and then i give it to the attorney to you know put the legal ease to it Right? And the things that I put in there is, is if I want to sell the business, what happens? If I want to leave the business, what happens? If I want to, I don't like what you're doing from an accounting perspective, what um, protocol or what recourse do I have? So those are really, really important. So if you decide to go into a partnership with somebody, put together an operating agreement. It'll help with any type of dispute, any type of um question, any type of tax related issue, everything is spelled out there. One of the things you can also put in that operating agreement is, is the fact that you can deduct your own unreimbursed professional expenses against any operating income from the partnership. Um, that's something that I typically put in there as well. You also may want to put that the taxes are paid for at the partnership level, but that's something that you're going to want to talk to your advisor about. Um, but I strongly encourage you to put together an operating agreement. Absolutely. I hear a lot of my friends and uh, people I work with struggle with a partnership because there's no clarity. And it's so important. This is great. The fourth one is a corporation. Um, it could be an S corporation. It could be a C corporation. It really is going to depend on 
the current environment, right? Who's the president, what the tax laws are associated with each of those entities. And you can, the good thing is, is you can toggle back and forth or pivot from one type of entity to another. It just takes paperwork with the government. They're willing for you to make those changes, but you need to know what the advantages are. So if you look at the partnership or limited liability creation or as an S corporation, there's some tax advantages to those today. Um, I don't know moving forward, the C corporation has some advantages, but doesn't have the same advantages as the pastor entity, which would be the LLC partnership or S corporation. And then the fifth is, is you may want to look at going or joining a franchise. And I don't know, there's some advantages there. I want to go um, and franchise. I want to you franchise, want to franchise your business, the network. Yeah. We have so much uniqueness. Like we, I, that's like my next mountain to climb like later. <laughs> But I mean, some people will want to join a franchise today and there's some advantages to it, but there's also some disadvantages to it. I have a couple of clients that have joined, whether it be a landscaping franchise, whether it be a um, restaurant franchise, whether it be a retail store franchise, you need to look at those operating agreements and you need to understand what hidden costs are underneath there. There's some goodness to some of them and there's some badness to some of them. So I think you really need to, before you jump into anything, you have to do some sort of due diligence. Absolutely. I was watching this video all about like the um, agreement. It's like, I forget what it's called. Um, there's like a, an agreement and it's like 30 pages. Um, I'm going to pull it up really quick. Franchise. Uh, the FDD. Okay. And that whole, and it's like completely like, clear as kind like we were saying before sorry david it, like my squirrel brain went off no problem what's it called the fdd the fdd franchise duh. i forget what it's called but it's like there's 23 items on it mm -hmm. and it is um everything that a franchisee would need to see before having your franchise. So it's really like, I like watched this whole video and I was like, oh my God, like there's so much that goes into this. And it really wanted me, inspired me to like dial in my business plan even more. So if you have a brand, if you have a business, it's like, what is that plan? What is the marketing? What is everything about the business? And is it dialed in? So if you do want to grow and shift into those, um, shift into those different areas, like you have your business situated. I think it's a great thing. I think the piece that is really important is, is the procedures, right? The types of procedures that you have, the processes, right? That's what a franchise does. It gives you systems. It gives you processes. It gives you procedures. It gives you a whole, like, you know, remember we talked about all those marketing collaterals. It gave you all those checklists. It gave you, it tells you when you have to do certain things. So if that's the type of person you are, then that's maybe what you need to look at. Totally. Um, you know, looking at, you know, going back up here, you know, if you're an individual and you want to be a sole proprietor and you want to open your own salon or you want to rent your own chair, you're an entrepreneur. And that's a different skill set than if I want to go off and I just want to be an employee or I want to just run a franchise and somebody's going to tell me how to do it. Mm -hmm. If you want to build your own path, essentially, you're going to start your own um, business. Yeah. There's artist, manager, entrepreneur. And it's when we try to be all three, it's like... <gasps> And it's like really finding what you love to do and what you would do even if you weren't paid, honestly, like what you love, love, love to do the most and then finding a team to help support you and in, in those other things. Absolutely. So um, 
this is really just owning a salon. You know, I think we talked about a little bit about this. Thrall is just branding, branding, having your own brand identity, um, leasing or having a rental agreement, the insurance types that you should have, fire, lawsuit for theft, and then generally just have an operational model, uh, model that says, hey, this is how I need to operate. Um, I know that we have an operations manual for our team that just says, if, if X happens, this is what you need to do. And it's important, especially if you're not there. And, but the biggest thing that I, I give myself credit for and my team is, is I had them build the operations manual. I said, here's the skeleton, you guys craft it, right? What would you do in these scenarios? And what should we do? What's the customized look like? You know, what does the lists look like? What is the, what do we need from our clients? How does it make procedures? What procedures should we change? What's the process need to look like? You know, even amidst COVID, we've had to change our business process because we're not seeing clients face to face. So we had to come up with a brand new business process for clients to get us their information, for them to pick up their information, for us to make sure we have the right contact information because it's not face to face anymore. It's more via Zoom, it's more via um, phone calls, it's more via email, it's more via text, right? So we've had to change our operational procedures. But I think the biggest thing is, is you gotta be able to pivot quickly and you gotta make and trust your team to help you pivot and, and give I love them that you, the autonomy. Yeah. But, no, I was going to say, I love that you trust your team because people support what they help create. Right. So like, they're going to be like so much more attached to your business and your culture and your operations if they help create it. So it's so awesome. Yeah. They own it. Right. They built it, they designed it. And you know, there's things that I tweaked, right. Just because I, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, but you know, we kind of came up up with a model that says we're McDonald's, right? It's a little bit different. We're hiring professional services firm, um, but we have to do X, Y, and Z in order to make sure that those clients are fully serviced. Absolutely. You know, one of the things you talked about too, uh, Gina, was record keeping and your, your jump into QuickBooks, right? So what I did was, is I looked at how clients come and see us, right? So most people are coming with a box of stuff. And they're coming now, right? I'm getting boxes and bags of receipts. Still? Oh, yeah. In this day and age? Sure. Are you right? okay? So it's like, hey, <laughs> oh I've got, you know, I got a box of receipts. I've got a box, you know, a shoe box or a big box or it's a bag. And it's, hey, I bought this at Walmart. I bought this at the, you know, um, supply place and figure it out, right? To your point. It's stressful for us. It's stressful for the client because they don't even have a clue where they are, right? Number two is, is they're looking at me to create this picture. And then when I give them this picture based upon that box, they have no clue. And then they have to trust that I'm doing the right thing and that I'm asking the right questions. So I think that the more that you can do up front, it's helpful. And I'm not saying jump to QuickBooks right away. I'm saying, look at getting organized, putting your receipts by month or by category. Number two, look at just getting a spreadsheet and just do it in piece by paper, right? Get a journal, go to Staples or Office Max and get a column book. Just put how much came in, what the expenses were for the month or the week. The next step would be go to Excel. And the third step would be to go to QuickBooks. And to your point, Gina, there's three tips, three different types of QuickBooks. You can just do QuickBooks. Um, and the second one is QuickBooks with payroll, and then you can do QuickBooks online. Um, each is, has its own positives and its own negatives. It's, you know, you've got to look at what's best, what's the best solution for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that you, you gave a step-by-step step because 
Yeah. The step-by-step is so it's less overwhelming than, okay, just go to QuickBooks. Cause I remember being overwhelmed and I love that you broke it down. Thanks Dave. You're welcome. But I think that, you know, looking at QuickBooks, like I said, it's very, very rigid and you're going to get scared and it's going to be a pain. And you're going to say, you know what? I don't want to do it and I'm not going to do it. And then you're going to end up to see your accountant once a year and you're going to drop that box to it and you're going to say, figure it out. And you're going to get a bill from your accountant for doing all that bookkeeping work. Because even if you went to a local accountant or a, you know, maybe even a franchise accounting firm, they're going to charge you by the form, by the hour, and for every minute that they spend on your file. So the more prepared you are, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, that's great. So if even if you like, so the more preparation that you do, and I feel like by watching this course, people are going to, my, I know my audience is going to love this and they're going to be like, wow, okay, now I know what to do. And they're going to have even more of a budget to hire a better person because they're not creating more work, you know? So it's just really a win, win, win. And you'll get to have a better picture and won't be shocked. Um, several major deductions for stylists, tools, supplies, um, materials, um, car mileage and travel expenses. And I know that you prior to that, you guys used to travel to different um, shows and you guys would buy magazines, you'd buy publications, you'd have your cell phone, you'd have internet in your house, you'd have a computer, you'd have a, your, um, your square or your banking fees if you took uh, credit cards, um, education. Um, you know, it could be any type of education, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be to learn something about being a cosmetologist. It could be an education on how to be a good bookkeeper or how to be a better business person or even coaching or even a counselor. Um, licensing fees, um, insurance fees, hairstylist insurance, office expenses, office supplies, marketing, advertising. Those are all major deductions that you should look at as a stylist, barbershop, or as a salon owner including gifts. Yeah. I remember when we used to buy wine and uh, snacks and all of that stuff for our customers, <coughs> that was a deduction. Like Absolutely. all of those things that we're adding to the guest experience, like it costs money, but you can write it off. Um, you know, we talked about a business plan, right? And we said, Hey, you're sitting there on a Sunday morning and what do I do? Right. The first thing you need, and you're not going to get this first. This is the last thing you write is the executive summary. The first thing you want to do is put a vision. What do you envision your business to look like? Whether you're just creating your own chair, whether you're creating a salon, whatever you're doing. The second is, is what is your mission? I want to service this market. I want to be the best stylist or the best barber in this market. You want to put an organizational plan together. That an organizational plan is going to lay out how you're going to organize, who's, who you're going to work with. Um, then you're going to look at your marketing plan. What are you doing for social media? What are you doing for advertising? What are you doing in order to um, get your message out there or getting your brand out there? What does your brand look like? What does your logo look like? Do you have a website? How are you integrated into social media? Do you send out electronic newsletters to clients? What are you doing differently? What are you communicating with? Is there any value in what you're communicating? Or are you just communicating noise? In today's society, nobody has time for noise. You've got to add value in every time. You know, what's in it for me? The whole with them, right? What is the call to action for them? Why should they call you? Why do they need to speak to you? And I think as, a, as, a, as an owner, you need to do that, right? Hey, listen, 
we've got prom season coming up. We've got Easter coming up. We've got a holiday coming up. We're booked up with our appointments. I've got some free time. And these are the days that I have available or you want to come in. Um, I have these ancillary services that I'm adding to our portfolio. Those are the things that you need to communicate and continue to, to message your, your team. Um, your financial documents, you got to do a projection. How much money are you going to bring in? What your expenses are going to look like? And do I have enough to cover in that initial working capital? Because I may not see anybody again for two months, but do I have enough to cover my expenses? Salon policies, what policies are you going to have specifically for your chair? And to Gina's point, if you're sitting there and you're looking around and you see that the place isn't clean, maybe that's one of the policies. This, is this, this has to be clean the space three times a week. What does clean look like? And having that expectation, what does it look like? What is the resting position of the station? This is exactly, the chair should be facing this way with the pump facing back, everything is wiped down and all of my tools are being sanitized or sanitized and wrapped in the station. There has to be an expectation or it won't happen. Yeah, you gotta send some benchmarks, right? What is the benchmarks that you have? What type of experience should every client see, right? Like when you call a client, right? What is the package? At the end of the day, what is the package that you're delivering? What is the service offering? How do I know that my client is successful or, or, or that I made their experience um, a positive and I made their day, right? Um, you know, whether it's, hey, you know, I, I greeted them. I said goodbye. I gave them a copy of their receipt. I did something to make them complete the whole process. And I think those are some of the policies that you need to put in place. How do I answer the phone? How do I um, leave my message? How do I email them back? Do I have a canned email? What kind of message does it go out? What type of experience? How do I look, right? Is my hair done? Or are my nails done? Or do I look appropriate to meet with this client? Or do I look like I just rolled out of bed? Um, am I ready for the day? So those are some of the policies that you would want to put in place. One of the things we didn't, documents. yeah. One of the things we didn't even consider the um, transaction closed until we did the guest call back and got in touch with them. It's a great day, Gina Bianca Hare, or, or hi, blah, blah, blah. It's Gina from Gina Bianca Hare. How was your service? How was the, how was your hair? How was the service? How are your products? And if they didn't pre-book that day, getting the pre-book. And that's how we close the service. That's awesome. Um, I've this got is a couple great, more Dave. Things. Thank you so much for all of this. Oh, you're no problem. Um, you know, record keeping, we talked a little bit about this. Um, bookkeeping, income and expenses, um, business taxes. You have local taxes that you're responsible for paying. It's called personal property tax. So if you have physical assets, whether it be a chair that you own, whether it be a computer or something that you have in your business location, each locality may charge you some sort of nominal tax on that asset. It's called personal property tax. You also have federal taxes that you're responsible for. You have state taxes and you also have state sales tax. You don't charge sales tax on your service, but you have to charge sales tax on the products that you sell. Um, and you know, whatever it is, it's based upon whatever your stat, state tax rate is. You have to keep track of your inventory. You also have to keep track of your of the services that you offer. You know, I put this up here as just kind of a, if the opportunity doesn't knock, then build a door. I just want to give you a couple of tax savvy things to think about, because I know that we're probably getting ready to close out, but I want to give you, I've got maybe three more slides and then you got, I'll open it up to any questions, Gina, that you have. But you know, if opportunity doesn't knock, then build a door. So what things can I do? It's 2021 and I have to file my 2020 taxes. 
Number one, if you haven't set up a retirement account, you can still set up a retirement account. You can set up an individual retirement account. Um, if you're under 50, it's 6,000. If it's over, if you're over 50, you can do 7,000. The second thing that you can do is you can set up a health savings account. A health savings account is a pre-tax health account. It allows you to put away money into a pre-tax health savings account. You can use those monies to help fund um, unreimbursed medical expenses. So if you have a high deductible plan and all of a sudden you get hit with a bill for $500 and you don't want to pay for it out of pocket and use after-tax money, you can use this pre-tax account. The good thing with the health state account is it gets carried forward to the following year and you carry it on forever. Um, if you have a family, it's a larger dollar amount. If you're individual or sole, it would be less. Um, you could talk to your advisor about that, but you have all the way up until April 15th, or if, if they extend the tax deadline, that you can put that money in there. The other retirement contributions that you can offer, um, and I'll get into those, but there are some other retirement contributions that you can still fund all the way up till either April 15th or October 15th, which would be the day of the, uh, of the extension of the deadline. Um, here are the types of retirement options that are available. One is an individual retirement account. The second is a Roth individual retirement account. The Roth earns interest and dividend tax-free, um, and you can make that contribution, both of those before April 15th, or if it tax season gets extended, you can make that contribution later. The SEP IRA essentially is 25% of your net profit. So if you made 100 grand net profit or 50 grand net profit, it's 25% of whatever that number is. You could make that at your maximum contribution into that. It's called the Simplified Employee Pension Program. And that could be funded, again, if you filed an extension all the way till October 15th. You could set it up and it could be funded and waited until then. Um, the other fund is a 401k. If your plan is a little bit bigger, you could set up your own 401k for your company. You could also set up a 401k with profit sharing. And the third thing that you can do is you can set up a solo 401k. So if you're your sole owner, you could set up your own 401k plan for yourself. It's either called a single K or a solo 401k. And the last is a simple IRA. And if you looked at what's the simplest thing to do, do an IRA. Um, if you're young, you should do a Roth IRA. But if you're over, I don't know, 40 or 50 years old, you may want to consider doing a traditional IRA. Um, the second area would be the SEP IRA. The third would be the simple IRA. And the fourth would be the solo 401k. The considerations is pre and post tax savings. You need to make that decision. Is it pre? Am I going to pay taxes on it later or after? Number two is, is what's the date of the funding? When is the last day that I could fund this? The third is, is the total maximum amount. With a SEP IRA, if you made 100 grand, you could put away 25 grand up to $60,000 in a SEP IRA. So there are some significant benefits there. If it's a 401k and you're under the age of uh, 50, it's 19.5, and then there's a catch up uh, of an additional $6,000. So you just have to kind of look at what those amounts are and the dates of the funding. The other thing is if you're an owner and you have a big, let's say you have a big, big salon and you decide that you're gonna make this, if you need to, if you have a 401k plan and you have profit sharing, <coughs> excuse me, you may need to put a percentage away for each of your members of your staff. That becomes part of your budget, also becomes part of your expense. But you also need to think about that when you start building your compensation structure. Because in some instances, you may be paying somebody 4% of what they made as a profit sharing piece. So if somebody made 50 grand, you're gonna end up putting away two grand for them into the retirement. You get to take the deduction, 
but again, they get to walk away with that money. One of the things that I look at doing when I design these plans with my clients is that I put some sort of vesting period in it that says, listen, if you're going to stay with me for a year, you'll get 20% of what I put in. If you stay with me for two years, you'll get 40%. But in order for you to get 100% of what I put in, you got to stay for, with me for five years because that's a big investment that you're making, especially if it's four or 5%. Any questions on this? I mean, I know that there's, we could talk about this for a whole call. So I would definitely urge our listeners to, you know, if this is something that you need help with, or you want to explore more, find that advisor and sit down with them, let them get to know your business and tell you what's going to work best for you. You know, that you can read about this all day long, but having someone who's a professional actually know your business will help you. You know, we talked a little bit about this earlier. And this is what's available for me today with COVID, um, you know, and I think everybody's breathing this right and you're seeing it decline. Um, there are some community grants uh, number two is, is the SBA has the paycheck protection loans. Um, there's round one to the funding or draw one of the funding and then there's draw two in order to experience draw two. I'm assuming that most of you guys were out of business in the second quarter of 2020. So you can definitely show a reduction. One of the qualifications is, is that number one, that you used all the funds on draw one. And also um, the second piece of this is, is that you could show a 25% reduction in revenue um, in one of the quarters, whether it be Q1, Q2, or Q3, or Q4 of 2019 over 2020. Um, I, I definitely think you guys can definitely experience that. One of the pieces that you need to look at is, is that you're still entitled to apply for draw one. So if you've never applied for the Paycheck Protection Program, you have until March 31st to apply. You would need to work with your advisor to get that into the bank. Um, as I pointed out, I don't know if I did, but I think I did earlier, is, is if you have less than 25 employees, then you're eligible to do it for the next two weeks anybody that has greater than 25 employees has to put that application in but if you have less than 25 employees you have until march 31st to get the first round or first draw of the paycheck protection program the other piece that you can look at is is called the small business application it's called the economic disaster relief loan again it's 3.75 it could be up to a maximum of $150,000 that you could borrow it's paid over a 30-year period period um, is based upon your credit. So if you don't have good credit, it's, you're going to be challenged to get that. It is underwritten based upon your credit. Um, it's written off over 30 years. Um, so, I mean, if you borrowed 150 grand, I think you're looking at a four or $500 payment. This money can be used for redesigning your business, if you will, in regards to where we are with um, the pandemic. You know, you may need to put uh, personal protection equipment up. You made it to need to restructure. You made it to need to span the space and make it more um, usable. You may need to convert your waiting room into a space where people, can, clients can see it. You need to make investment in computer or technology so you can further communicate with your clients. All the, that can be used with either paycheck protection funds or with the economic disaster relief funds. Uh, we talked about the employee retention credit. That's brand new. That's something that you should look at. Um, if you can show a reduction in revenue or you were impacted because of a shutdown, you can go back and get some of your payroll tax credits back. 
Um, this is brand new, so we're still working on that. And obviously it's in the middle of a flight, right? So I give the analogy to my staff and they laugh at me. The plane has already left. We are in the air. We can't start changing engines. And essentially that's what the IRS is doing, the SBA, by keep throwing these rules out at us. Um, the last piece is you have the ability to collect on unemployment, especially if you're self-employed. I think some of the states um, offered this. So even if you were, if you paid in unemployment or if you were self-employed, you can collect on this. So that's something that you should, you should definitely do some research on. I have two more slides, Gina, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to questions. You know, so here's the quick, big questions. You know, why study the business of salon ownership? You really need to make sure that you understand why you want to have a salon and why you want to be an owner. Number two, what are the advantages and the disadvantages of booth rental? Understand what they are before you make that decision. What do I need in order to operate my salon? What business skills do I need? And what should I consider before operating, opening a salon? What type of salon ownership is the best for me? What are the factors that you need to consider before opening your salon? And then is a business plan necessary for me to move forward? Um, and I kind of leave those, you know, as you're, you know, kind of signing off that says, hey, I really want to do this or I am doing it and I need to make sure that, and it's not, you don't need to do 100% of it, but if you did something, one thing, it'll help your business better than where it is today. Yeah, this was amazing, Dave. Thank you so much. Like, I can't even tell you how much this is going to help our industry. Um. I am just so grateful for all of your time. Like I learned so much and it gave me like some validation of like, even though like my beginning was messy and even though I'm not perfect and even though I do have a lot of help that I'm doing the right things and, but there's always room for me to grow. So I think anyone listening to this is going to feel not overwhelmed because a lot of the time these conversations can just be overwhelming. Like you really simplified it and you made it like easy to understand. And I think that people will know where to start. Even if it's just opening that Excel spreadsheet or sitting down, looking out your window and getting your vision together. I really think that this is super inspiring and really promoting independence and not scaring people. Cause a lot of the financial advice is like, it's hard. It's scary. Like you can't do it. And I feel like this was very like great to like promote that you can do it. And it just takes time. And that it's okay to have advisors. Like it's okay to delegate this out and work with a professional. Like you don't have to know everything. So I really thought this was awesome. And I really appreciate all the time and effort and energy you put into it. Well, thank you for having me. And if there's any questions that you have or your team has, feel free to reach out. Um, I'm glad that we were able to get this done, especially in a busy time for you as well as for us. And I'm glad that everybody took something positive away from this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll put your um, stuff. I mean, I know you say you don't want to promote it or anything because I know you guys are so busy, but is there anything if they wanted? Because I know that people are going to be like, well, how do I work with them? And like, I know you're really busy. Like, are you taking people? I don't know. You know, it, it's really going to be dependent, right? I, I can't take a client that comes in with a box, right? I, I've got to come in with somebody that's organized. I've got to, you know, we pick and choose. It's like very similar to your clientele, right? You've got to set boundaries. So for our boundaries, there's a certain you know, protocol that we put together. So I think if we can, you know, work together and try to, uh, we, we definitely would take and consider new clients. So just let us know. Yeah, that's great. I'll put your information down below for everybody watching. Dave, thank you so much for your time. This was like above and beyond. I had questions written out for you and you just like totally like, I, like I'm so grateful for all of this. Thank so you. Thank Thanks you for having so me. Much. I totally appreciate it. Thank you, you so much, Dave.
Thank you. Appreciate it. 